Nearly 40 days have passed since House Speaker Todd Richardson formed a committee to examine Governor Eric Greitens' conduct. And the Poplar Bluff Republican announced on Thursday that a politically crucial report will be released next week. The committee is looking into Greitens' indictment on felony invasion of privacy, which stemmed from allegations that he took a semi-nude photo of his then-mistress without her consent. The chairman of the committee, State Representative Jay Barnes of Jefferson City, promised in February to be thorough and fair. This committee's task is going to be to investigate facts. We're going to do so in a way that is fair, thorough, and timely, and we're going to do it without any preordained results, which means we are going to be asking questions of witnesses on both sides and hope to have a process with full involvement from everyone involved. Almost all the committee's hearings have been closed to the press, primarily to protect the identity of witnesses. Attorneys for Greitens told Barnes that the governor would be willing to testify, but only after his trial was over. The stakes are sky high because Barnes' committee could recommend impeachment, and the House may have to act before session is over unless enough representatives and senators agree to call themselves into special session. As Senator Bill Eigel noted last week, it probably doesn't help Greitens' cause that he's alienated many Republicans that control the General Assembly and the governor's political fate. I haven't heard from the governor in over a month and a half. I know my colleagues haven't heard from the governor in quite some time. And there's no way to get around the disengagement that we're seeing. Is it a distraction from uh, the, the, the scandals that are going on? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that before the scandals broke, he wasn't calling my phone either. So on this edition of Politically Speaking, Joe Manis and Rachel Lipman joined me to talk about the impending release of this vital report and all of this week's legal wrangling. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Rachel Lippman. And... Colleague Joe Manis. We are up to, what, episode five, episode <laughs> six of our never-ending mini-series on the governor's uh, legal and political woes. Well, sooner or later, well... One way or the other. It'll end eventually, we think. Well, I mean, everything ends. Nobody's immortal. So. (laughs) Even Downton Abbey ended. That's true. Yeah. So I. Law and Order SVU still has not ended, though. Yeah. So, unless uh, Greitens can find uh, the ability to live forever and remains governor forever, this will have an end date eventually. But we're actually going to do a little bit of a reverse thing for our podcast because usually we talk about all the legal wranglings first. We're going to actually talk about the political stuff first, because that was probably the biggest news this week, that this special House committee that's investigating the governor will release its report next week. And it's a report that could have seismic implications for the future of the Missouri governorship. Joe, you you did a feature on this. Um, You've been following uh, at least how it was formed and who the people are. Explain to our listeners why this this report is so important. Well, it's important, A, because the House Committee's recommendation to the full House could will then influence what the House does, whether or not it votes to impeach, votes to censure, uh, does nothing. Uh, House action is needed before the Senate can do anything. So the Senate's sort of in the stands just like watching this. 
But I think uh, having done a thing on the members, several of the members are former law enforcement officers. Five are Republicans. Two are Democrats. At least uh, three, I think, uh, are lawyers. But I think that um, for all those reasons, uh, and I may be jumping the gun, I'm just not sure how far over the far to the ledge this committee will go. I think especially the people who have law enforcement experience, the way they're looking at the evidence, I think that uh, it will be diff- I will be shocked if it if it goes really far like recommends impeachment or something. You you would be shocked by that. Yes, yeah, because because of the makeup of the committee, I think. Well, but isn't the committee and I don't have a read one way or the other on this committee, but if the committee is looking into things that go beyond the indictment, it's just the special investigation, special investigative committee. I wonder if they're hearing things that are unrelated to the indictment, maybe into some of the dark money issues other investigations going on about the governor in terms of confide, other things that are percolating there, if that doesn't push him closer to the edge, if it's not all about just what attorney, excuse me, Circuit Attorney Gardner has indicted him on, but other things that we don't necessarily know about. But I think most of the members of the committee, now I'm talking about the Republicans here who are going to be calling the shots, especially those with the law enforcement background, I think they're going to be looking at what's legal and what's not. So even though they may be critical of some things, I will be surprised that they will be pushing for action against the governor on something that's not illegal. I mean, for example, the whole dark money situation, whether we like it or not, okay, he puts a lot of money, maybe most of his money, into some nonprofits that don't have to report their donors, how much they give, how the money's spent. Well, that is legal in Missouri. There has been talk for years, threats for years to try to regulate it. They haven't done so. I, Based on the makeup of the committee, I will be surprised if the committee tries to punish him for that. For like, I, I, I would be very surprised, for example, if they recommend impeachment for like the Mission Continues fundraising list right. thing or, exactly. the, or the confide thing. Not Although to, the Mission Continues letter could end up being illegal. They were charged under campaign finance violations, but there are charity laws that they're investigating. Oh, I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. And that could end up being more politically uh, serious than this situation, depending on what happens to the trial. Uh, just playing just just as a really cynical observer of Missouri campaign <laughs> finance is is Eric Greitens campaign getting a fundraising list for a charity that he founded, the worst campaign finance thing I've seen in Missouri politics, it wouldn't even make the top 20. Correct. Even if it is legal. And I know people are going to be upset with me saying that, but let's be real here. Well, I mean, because I'm not advocating that it's good or bad. I mean, as a reporter, I'll be very upfront. I'm always big on disclosure and knowing where the money comes from. As am I. And where it goes. I mean, most journalists feel that way. But there's what we think should be the law and what is the law. And in Missouri, as in many other states, by the way, uh, they don't have to report their donors. They don't have to report what they get. They don't have to report how the money's spent. Now, there's some states, like the state of New York, that does require these groups to report if they're active in campaigns in the state. Missouri doesn't have that. I could see where maybe the committee might make a recommendation saying, uh, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, saying the state needs to pass laws on X, Y, or Z mm-hmm. uh, because of them looking at the governor and seeing where they 
question some of the things he's done, or maybe they say the state needs to bar use of the Confide app for government business or whatever, mm. any government official. I could see them making recommendations, but I don't see them punishing the governor for that. I will just say, though, that there were several people that did not want to be want this report to be released next week. Most of them, of those people that I kind of just put in quotes, um, are employed by the governor in some way, shape, or form. I have a letter now from um, the governor's general counsel, the governor's private lawyer, and also an attorney that has been involved in other gubernatorial impeachments that basically says, and I'm reading verbatim from here, the timing of the release of any documents or reports from this committee is all the more important in light of a jury trial. Anything published by this committee will no doubt influence the jury pool and the public about this case. And thus, it is vital that the committee's work reflect the full facts. Um, It also goes on to say that the governor would be willing to testify before this committee after the trial, but it, it is barred by various things associated with the trial from from revealing a lot of information. Well, and I'm wondering, too, as if most of this has kind of been in this case, if this is kind of cynical in some ways, because I'd imagine that we we think or we know that there was a court reporter in on those sessions taking transcripts of what was going on in the committee. So I'd have to think that his defense attorneys for the criminal side of things are, regardless of when this report comes out, they might want it to come out before trial because it gives them another sort of dot to push, another thing to connect. If the woman has testified to this committee, which we believe she has, the husband has testified to this committee, the ex-husband, ex-husband has testified in this case, it gives them another thing to point out in court and say, in this case, you gave this testimony and then you've changed it. And again, we've talked about this before. It takes one juror to hang a case. And if they are able to raise questions about some of the witnesses for the state and push for reasonable doubt, you have to think that they're going after the records of this committee and that they might be okay with it being released beforehand. Well, I think the governor's argument is weakened as far as trying to keep this quiet when he's running ads. In fact, in fact, House, you read my mind, Joe. House Minority Leader Gail McCann Beatty made that exact point at Thursday's House press avail. The governor was trying to get it stopped, um, saying that it could have an impact on his uh, criminal trial. But the reality is the governor spent $50,000 on commercials. He's already out there tainting the jury. So I don't see that our report coming Mm -hmm. out at this point does anything more than what he's already doing. That's right. I mean, uh, I mean, not taking sides, but this one's pretty obvious. I mean, if, if if you're running ads attacking the case, are they saying liberals are hell bent on stopping his agenda, yes. including then, Satan's army? Yes, and then at the same time, you're saying, oh, information could taint the jury. Well, you're already you're trying to taint the jury, mm-hmm. so I mean, more or less, or taint you know the jury pool, uh, and so how can you say another? group can't. It was some, I can't remember who exactly it was with the circuit attorney's office, but someone with the prosecutor's office, one of the attorneys involved or one of the spokespeople pointed out like, look, if they don't want to taint the jury pool, they can stop talking. 
That's true. You know, they're doing press conferences on the steps afterwards. You know, Ed Dowd could walk down the steps and not say anything. He could go out the back door. They, you know, it's it, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. I do want to point out something about the timing of this entire situation. Because I don't think this has really been emphasized enough about, like, why they need to release this report now, especially if this committee recommends impeachment. So if this committee ends up recommending impeachment, I would I would say that unless the what is in the report is so shocking and damaging that it galvanizes everybody against the governor, similar to like Rod Blagojevich in Illinois, where I think only one or two people voted against impeachment because the charges against him were so strong. Short of that, if they don't end up getting the impeachment process finished by the end of session in May and there is not like there's not like three fourths of House and Senate members that agree to go into a special session afterwards, Crichton is not going to call a special session to consider his own impeachment unless he, like, wants to get impeached somehow. But my point is, like, if the legislature wants to take action based off this report, they're going to have to move relatively quickly to decide whether the House is going to impeach him, which would also suspend him from being able to be governor and would put Mike Parson in charge, at least on a temporary basis, and also allow the Senate to choose the eminent jurist. But as I've said before, I I mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I really believe they're not going to recommend impeachment. So now let's move into the legal stuff. I think the reason we didn't start off with all the wranglings in the courtroom this week is there was no wranglings there, in the courtroom. I, I mean, you were there the couple Thursdays ago, and that was the first of, I think, three or four hearings where Judge Burleson calls the case. And Judge uh, uh, Chief Durker, the chief trial attorney who's also involved in this, he's there on other cases. So he'll just say, no, nothing from us, Your Honor. And Dowd and Bennett and that whole side haven't even been in court recently. So, But, but... But there was like a flurry of filings from Greitens attorneys that was kind of going on the attack against numerous people, as well as a a potential filing from a Republican lawmaker that we'll get to at the end of the show. The the first filing that I I want to talk about is one involving the the chief investigator in the case. uh, Tisby, what's his first name? Uh, I believe it's William Tisby. Well, William Don Tisby. So yes, William Tisby. This this filing basically is asking for lots of documentation that the defense believes is not being given to them by this investigator, and also tries to paint the this 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 this, this investigator as incompetent. And, I and think sloppy. that's sort of fundamentally your your latter point was kind of what they're trying to do. This is all about credibility and again getting back to reasonable doubt. They don't want to go and be seen as attacking the woman in this case. In fact, Jason, I think you have a footnote that you want to read kind of uh, in relation but, to but, this. But continue. But they so they're going after the evidence underlying the entire case that they have and going after the individuals who are investigating this case. In the same way that you would if it was a police officer who was on the stand, you might ask, well, you know, did you really see this or, you know, what's your usual method for doing this investigation? It's reasonable doubt, again, putting in the doubts of the minds and by putting it out there and publicizing that they're doing it, tainting the jury pool, as we were just talking about. And basically, yes, it's saying that he was supposed to be taking notes of this interview with KS and this other woman, JW, 
that he didn't take those notes, he didn't bring his laptop, that it's completely improbable that he would have been able to recall all of this from memory three months later. Again, it's raising the issue of reasonable doubt. And what they want is for these documents, which they've already asked to be preserved originally, they were worried that this was going to happen. They sort of foresaw this. And now they're saying there is this motion out there that he needs to do this, and he hasn't. And, you know, whether or not this succeeds in court, we'll we'll just have to see. I think the biggest takeaway from this filing is a footnote on page 11, which I'm going to read in its entirety. And I'm not going to get into the context of what it's talking about, because I think that the footnote is actually more revealing than what it's trying to note in the feet, so to speak. That was a bad attempt at humor. While we challenge the woman's credibility as to this occurrence, we in no way intend to attack her as a person. She is being forced into the public light over a very private matter. She did not in any way want her private interactions with Governor Greitens to be a public event. She has been victimized by both her former husband and the circuit attorney's office by having a matter she rightly viewed as personal and private turned into a media and political circus. Under such circumstances, it is understandable that she would be telling a story which minimizes her own role. If an individual wanted to minimize her own culpability for infidelity, that would be expected. Well, I take... I won't say issue with that, but this goes back to the whole question of expectation of privacy, which is an element of the invasion of privacy statute, which says if you are in a place where you have a reasonable expectation of privacy and a photo is taken without your permission, then it can be considered an invasion of privacy. And what they're trying to do in the context of this motion is say that the woman in question got naked before the governor before this hat before this event in question happened in order to change her clothes and therefore it's not so much that it wasn't consensual it's that she couldn't she didn't have a reasonable expectation of but, privacy but that's I not agree the, with you. But, but that's not the reason I find it interesting the I reason agree with you, the reason though. I find it interesting is it signals that the woman is going to testify at trial and it's going to be tremendously adversarial against the governor and I think that I think I, we kind of knew that she was. I, I mean, I think we knew testify, that. But yeah, I think we knew that. I think the question is whether she was subpoenaed over it or whether she's coming on her own free will and accord. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that footnote pretty much leaves no doubt about what we're going to see at trial. I well, mean, here at trial. Well, well, if you, OK, two things. First, there's been several court cases in other uh, cases that have made clear that just because you're having sex if somebody secretly takes pictures or records you of something that you did expect privacy and there can be criminal or penalties for that. And that's happened in other cases. A. B, in some ways, it kind of intrigues me, the idea that, okay, a person, they're like, well, she went down in the basement with him. That was consensual. Well, I mean, in theory, you could say, well, if they got murdered down there, then then then, well, they should have expect. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, that part is nuts um, as far as challenging whether or not uh, someone has an expectation of privacy or safety just because uh, this woman goes off with this guy. I, I, I That kind of, uh, I, I think that's going to be very hard to prove um, legally at the same time there's a question of was there a real picture taken because she did have a blindfold on. I mean, or was it just, I mean, he has not denied taking a picture, which intrigues me. 
but there's no still no evidence. I mean, there's still no hard picture floating around, correct, that they found either on the cloud or anywhere else? As far as Again, we, we don't know. But what somebody pointed out to me was that the conversation that, yes, okay, I'll delete the photo. If you believe the woman that the woman's account uh, accounting of the events and the governor saying, okay, well, I'll delete the photo. Does that then imply that there was a photo to delete? Whether you want to start parsing that in trial, I don't know. Yeah. But we, we talked about that before, but I, I, I found the footnote revealing not because of its context, but because I think it provides what we can expect from the woman involved in trial as far as what she's going to say. But that wasn't the only thing that the the defense did. We found this out yesterday and that uh, the defense has subpoenaed former Missouri Democratic Party Chairman Roy Temple. Well, they are trying to. They are trying to. Um, Joe, you confirmed yesterday that he has not actually been subpoenaed yet. He has not been served. He, he has. He said, I mean, I can quote him on this, that he, he has heard the same reports. He has not been served. And that's all we're going to say about that. Yes. Um, But I will just say for context that the reason Temple is embroiled in this, and and he's been pretty public about about this aspect. I mean, I read something on his Facebook page. He's talked to other media outlets. Yes, he has. He he basically tried to confirm the story during the 2016 election, didn't have enough information, and decided to drop it pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the essence of that's the essence of it. It wasn't that they were going out looking for it, I mean, at least from his account. It's just that it, it was made, um, I mean, the Democratic, the state Democratic Party heard some of this stuff. And I, I'm going to play a clip now from Al Watkins, who's the attorney for the ex-husband who was seen in that KMOB video. We're, we're not, obviously not revealing who he is because we don't want to reveal who the woman is. The ex-husband. And this is what... This is how he alluded to the Temple episode. And in October of 2016, September of 2016, our firm was retained by our client. The sole purpose of our client retaining our firm at the time was to make sure that that story, the story of the governor and the mother of his children, did not get out. And the reason we were retained was because we had been contacted, my client had been contacted, by a political operative who was seeking confirmation of the story to use it before the election uh, for the governor in 2016. I was retained. I contacted the operative. I talked to the operative at length. Uh, He had the story. He had the story spot on. And after relating to him the fact that, A, my client still loved his ex-wife, still cared deeply about her, took his vows very seriously, even though they were divorced, and that there were minor in children involved, to the credit of that operative, the story wasn't used. I'm just going to say one thing before you respond to that, um, and I can't really give a lot of information about this, but the way I was tipped off about this story in November was because somebody sent me a tweet of the ex-husband calling Greitens a homewrecker. So if the goal of the ex-husband was to prevent this information to get out, he himself did a terrible job of that because the way this reporter found out through another person is through the husband's own words. Well, and Temple has made clear that the party had no confirmation of anything and they weren't just going to float out stuff. I mean, he has said that. but And, and uh, so I think, 
whether one agrees or disagrees. Uh, the the suspicion of some is that they want to subpoena him because uh, the Greitens, uh allies, Greitens and his allies may want to try to see if there any money exchanged hands. Now, Temple has been very clear: no money, no money was. He says no money was paid from the state party to one. And I will also just say, and I can I can say this affirmatively: Temple was not the person who told me about this. So I just want to make that clear. I'm not going to reveal who it is because I, I promised I put, wouldn't do it, but I'm pretty confident I can say that he was not the person who told me about this in November. Um, this was November... 2017. 2017. And I've mentioned that publicly before about that. And also, I just also want to just add, the only information that I got was the ex-husband's tweets. I didn't get the tapes. I didn't get things that other outlets got that was the only tip I, I got on. I talked to a few people about it off the record, didn't get anywhere. Moving on from that, the other non-courtroom-related like thing that happened that caught our attention was State Representative Paul Kurtman, who happens to be a Republican candidate for auditor. Kurtman is from Franklin County. He, uh, had, he told a, a conservative-leaning news outlet that he had filed a bar complaint against Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. Now, as we've talked about on other shows, there's been a pretty concerted effort on the side of the Greitens political team to try to discredit Gardner at pretty much every turn. Um, And this is what Kurtman had to say to uh, Marshall Griffin about why he decided to, to go through with this bar complaint situation. It's related to the hiring of of Sullivan, Ron Sullivan, Ron Sullivan the, Harvard the Harvard professor. I want to make sure that we are following the law in our effort to catch anybody who may be violating the law, if that makes sense. Um, as the legislature possibly approaches another vote on this issue, it's important for me, and this, is, this, this could wind up being the last vote I ever take here. You, know, you never know if, if it comes to that. I want to make sure that I have the utmost integrity in the system, in the process, and it, I think I warrant an explanation for why a state law was just completely dismissed. And so I, I just need an explanation for that. So if, since the judge didn't give one, um, filing a, a bar complaint against uh, the circuit attorney for what I believe is a violation of uh, Chapter 56, I'm hopeful that they will give me back um, an answer for, maybe they come back and they say this, this doesn't warrant a complaint and here's why. I'll be fine with that. But if they also tell me why it does warrant a complaint, I'll be fine with that too. I just need an answer regarding why this law was dismissed. Rachel, I think you've looked into this a little bit. A little bit. Um, what, what does this mean, okay. if anything? So Chapter 56 is the statute that governs the use of the circuit attorney and special prosecutors. And this goes back to the attempt that the defense team made to disqualify Ron Sullivan for the case. The first argument that they made was that he was being appointed as a special prosecutor, which isn't allowed except by the court itself. The circuit attorney can't hire a special prosecutor. Only the court can appoint a special prosecutor. What the uh, prosecution, what uh, the circuit attorney's office argued in defense was 
that he was be- actually being brought on as an assistant circuit attorney, which is allowed under state law. Judge Burleson threw out the attempt, dismissed the motion or denied the motion, I should say, didn't dismiss the motion to have Sullivan removed from the case without explanation. So that is the whole Chapter 56 part. It's whether Ron Sullivan was legally brought on to this case. Now, what he means by a bar complaint, the Missouri bar is not actually the disciplinary office for attorneys in the state of Missouri. It's sort of the registration uh, allowed to practice sort of body. The uh, discipline goes through the Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel, and basically anyone can file a complaint with this office. You may think that your attorney didn't do a good job or kept too much of your money or didn't do what he or she promised to do. That office opens an initial investigation. This is kind of like anyone can call up the FBI and say anything that they want. That office conducts an initial investigation into the allegations. If that office sees something, the case gets referred to a regional disciplinary panel, and they'll do an investigation into these into allegations. And once the attorney against whom the complaint was filed responds, they have a chance to file a brief and say, this is why I didn't. I didn't actually violate any law or any ethical practice. Then the complaint is made public. So Kurtman is saying, yes, I have filed these complaints. We can take him at his word. The Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel can't confirm or deny that anything has happened unless and until it advances to that second stage. Then the Regional Disciplinary Commission can make a recommendation on punishment. And this ranges from everything from an admonition, which is just sort of a, you know, no, no, you were naughty, all the way up to disbarment, which is obviously the most extreme step. And the final decision on discipline will always come from the Supreme Court of Missouri. That's who would hand down and say, we agree that there needs to be a warning in this case or maybe, you know, a a suspension. But if they don't do it again, we don't suspend their license completely. Not all cases have to have a hearing in front of the Supreme Court. If someone agrees and it's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, they'll just say, "Okay, we agree. Sometimes they do hear it as like actual arguments and say, well, we want to know why you thought this punishment was correct or why you thought that um, this violated the law, but maybe this this action didn't. Again, all decisions would come from the Supreme Court. So this is the first step in what is a long process, and nothing may ever come of it. And unless and until an actual complaint is filed and or the regional commission finds something and Gardner would respond, we won't know kind of what happens with this. Joe, we, you and I were talking about this earlier today. There's been a pretty concerted effort from Team Greitens to make Gardner look incompetent, to kind of piggyback on some of the criticisms of her that emanated from St. Louis politics, which we talked about in another show. I mean, does this have any bearing on Greitens' future? Or is it really just about whipping up the base and trying to retain political support? I think, in my opinion, I think a lot of it has to do with whipping up the base. Um, for one thing, this kind of attacks isn't going to help him. Uh, I mean, granted, he's a Republican, and Republicans often don't get uh, that much support from African-American voters as a block. Uh, but it does mean that there's no way that he's going to be able to duplicate, let's say, what Kip Bond used to do when Kip Bond was governor. Mm-hmm. Kip Bond had a lot of African-American support for a Republican and um, showed up a lot at uh, events in African-American areas, uh, tried to advocate certain programs that he thought were helpful to everybody, but maybe a particular um, 
support in uh, African-American communities, this kind of activity kind of makes it, it's going to make it more difficult, even if Greitens survives, right. to ever cast himself as a, uh, uh, a moderate force or somebody who cares about everybody in Missouri. I think this really pushes him into the really the arch conservative part of the party, the Republican Party, that maybe doesn't even pay that much attention to African-American issues or concerns. And I will just say there was an article from the Associated Press a few weeks ago where a lot of African-American officials, and I think Lacey Clay might have been one of them, were, were pretty upset with the way Greitens was treating Gardner. Uh, Rachel, you were about to make a point. What I kind of found interesting about what Paul Kurtman filed this report on is that it didn't go after any misconduct in the indictment or any of the things that the defense team has alleged went on. It went after this kind of arguably semantic issue here as to how Ron Sullivan is being referred to as a special prosecutor or an assistant circuit attorney or what exactly he was hired on to. It, it, which is, I mean, I agree with your analysis in terms of if these attacks from his supporters continue against an African-American woman circuit attorney who was duly elected, obviously it doesn't help. But what it targeted, I found, was interesting. He didn't bring anything up about, like, you know, corrupt prosecutor, um, indictment being wrong, just a, you know, political thing. It was about this very specific part of state law that could be a semantic issue. Oh, but yeah, I, I certainly understand your point. But Joe and I, and I'm sure you have too, you sent me a Slack message today. Sure. I mean, there have just been all these articles and these conservative-leaning publications that have just been trashing Gardner. Absolutely. Not and denying the underlying kind of th that's what I'm framework in which this is in here. I thought it was just kind of interesting as to the tactic he took at making this attack on the elected circuit attorney. Well, and I think it does, as I said, it's kind of risky because, I mean, granted, any politician, doesn't matter color, race, creed, gender, I mean, there's some politicians that do illegal things or inappropriate things or accused of corruption. Nobody is throwing that out against uh, Circuit Attorney Gartner at the moment. Nobody's saying that she did something flagrantly wrong or violated the law and something. So which makes uh, Kurtman's complaint even more intriguing because of what Rachel well, just they, said. Well, they, they said, had actually, I mean, the original motion to dismiss Sullivan off the case said that, yes, he was violating state law, A, because he was hired as a special prosecutor, and B, because he was doing defense work for other clients outside of the state of Missouri while also being employed by the state of Missouri. Now, they're not alleging, like, corruption within the office necessarily. But yeah, she's been accused of violating the law in the hiring of Sullivan. It's just a parting note before we sign off for this week. Um, Rachel did end up following up on a Kansas City Star article about how Greitens has been subpoenaed in the Mission Continues uh, fundraising case, which we talked about earlier in the show and what we talked about in previous shows. Um, it's not a super surprising development because uh, the attorney general did say that he was going to be subpoenaing a lot of people Connected in the to all orbit. these orbit. different yeah groups and and organizations that have been set up and yeah yeah I, I it, for uh, Jason Hancock of the Kansas City Star broke that story Rachel followed up on it I recommend that our listeners read both of those stories Joe's yeah final point. one thing that's going to be interesting to me on this is that some of the stuff that Holly has investigated before which. He kind of reached conclusions without talking to the governor, in part is because the governor uh, uh, 
claimed executive privilege, which which is not part of the state law. In other words, it's not the same as what a president can do on certain things. And so I'm wondering if Greitens will be bringing any of that up in this case, or are they going to drop that? I mean, if he's actually going to be appearing before Holly. Yeah, be- and, I, and I don't think he had subpoena power in the, in the Sunshine-related case, the Confide-related case. No, but, but normally you would think the governor would kind of do it just to clear things up. Instead of saying executive privilege, I'm not going to talk about this, which kind of kept fueling it. Unless he was being told by the different teams advising him, keep your mouth shut because one can affect the case and the other. I mean, remember, there's a lot of things interla- starting to interlock here that he may be being advised by his attorneys, just don't say anything. Keep yourselves out of trouble in all of these cases until you absolutely have to. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at... At R. Lipman, two P's, two N's. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. We'll be back next week because I feel like we're going to have big news no matter what from this House committee that we're going to have to deconstruct. And hopefully after Friday, I, uh, we will all get to decompress a little bit. 